Welcome to this In Conversation with renowned art historian and educator Grant Kester and Gorney Coughlin, independent researcher and PhD candidate at TU Dublin, chaired by Professor Kirsten May, President, University of Limerick. You will find a resource page with examples discussed during the event linked to this recording in SoundCloud. My name is Alvar Murphy and I'm the Director of CREATE and we're the National Development Agency for Collaborative Arts. And with our partners on the Evaluative Register project, the Fire Station Artist Studios in the North Inner City of Dublin, Agent Opportunity, specifically the Arts Programme of Agent Opportunity, the Education and Learning Department of the Irish Museum of Modern Art, Fingal Arts Office in North County Dublin, and of course the University of Limerick in the southwest of Ireland, I'm really delighted to welcome you all here uh, to tonight's event. And before I introduce Professor Kirsten May, who's chairing the In Conversation um, this evening, let me give you a little bit of context uh, for the event. So as a partners, um, we've been working together with Grony Coughlin on the development of an evaluative register for collaborative arts. And the aim of this work as arts organisations, as arts institutions, a local authority arts office, and indeed in the academic context, is to lead the design and development of new modes of evaluation appropriate to the practice, and in doing so to inform national and international policy development. Um, in this work, we're taking into consideration the critical concerns within the field of collaborative and socially engaged arts practice, such as in particular, the quality and the durational nature of relationships. And I think for any of the artists in the room, you're certainly going to, uh, that's certainly going to resonate for you. A lot of the, the uh, below the line, the hidden work, if you like, that goes in to creating these complex relational and project matrices. And we're aiming in this context to generate greater understanding at an institutional and policy level of the need for analytical registers that take account of the very often less tangible but extremely valuable outcomes of this work. So tonight's event is an important moment for us um, to help further our thinking with one of the leading figures in the critical dialogue around socially engaged arts practice today, and that is of course Grant Kester. So without further ado, let me introduce uh, our chair for this evening, Professor Kirsten May of the University of Limerick. Kirsten is a leading academic who has built a track record of successfully initiating and implementing pioneering academic and research initiatives and cultural projects in higher education. She has held academic positions in universities in Germany and the UK, which include roles as the Pro Vice Chancellor and Dean of the Westminster School of Media, Arts and Design, and as Professor of Contemporary Art and Theory at the University of Westminster, London. Participatory and socially engaged creative practices and public pedagogies, pedagogies more generally are key research areas in her work as an academic. Kirsten joined the University of Limerick in 2018 as the Vice President of Academic Affairs and Student Engagement, as well as their Professor of Visual Culture. Appointed as Interim President in September 2020, she is the first ever woman president of an Irish university. So we are absolutely thrilled to be working with her on the Evaluative Register and delighted that she's chairing tonight's event. So Kirsten, over to you and welcome again, everybody. Thank you very much for the introduction, uh, Alvi. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, it gives me a great pleasure to share today's conversation and to welcome Professor Grant Kester um, as a conversation uh, partner. Uh, Grant uh, is Professor of Art History at the University of California, San Diego, and uh, founder editor of Field, a journal of socially engaged 
art criticism. Um, he has published uh, uh, quite a number of books and, and essays amongst these art activism and oppositionality essays from after image Duke University Press in 1998. The seminal work conversation pieces community and communication in modern art University of California Press 2004 and the second edition in 2013. The one and the many contemporary collaborative art in a global context, Duke University Press 2011 uh, and collective situations reading in contemporary Latin American art 1995 to 2010 co-edited with Bill Kelly Jr. Duke University Press 2017. And Grant is currently completing work on a two volume study of aesthetic autonomy under review at Duke University Press uh, the volume one is called The Sovereign Self Aesthetic Autonomy from the Enlightenment to the Avant-Garde and Beyond. This, um, sorry, sorry, the Avant-Garde uh, and Beyond the Sovereign Self Aesthetic Autonomy from the Avant-Garde to Socially Engaged Art. And I'm sure we're all looking forward to the publication of these uh, forthcoming uh, volumes. And uh, there is someone has the mic on. Thank you. And as conversation partner, I also warmly welcome Garnia Kochlin, who is an independent researcher and PhD candidate at Technological University Dublin. Grania's research interests include ecological responses to participation intersections between system theory and cybernetics, cybernetics with participatory art and alternative methods of evaluation and analysis. And Grania is uh, currently researching uh, the uh, response to the social turn in contemporary art and proposes an expanded analysis of socially expanded art projects as complex systems of social and aesthetic organization. She has presented this research uh, internationally at the Venice Biennale Research Pavilion in 2017, the College Art Association Annual Conference in 2018 and 19, the Southeastern College Art Association in 2018. And her organizational analysis of Grisdale Arts Project of Fairland 2016 will be published as part of the inaugural Imatex publication next year. Uh, and as Alve uh, has already said, Grania has worked as an independent researcher with Create to research and design a new, a new evaluative framework for socially engaged art that responds to the particular processes and multiple relationships that define the practice and has contributed to updating of documentation regarding Create's artists in the community scheme. She's currently conference coordinator for Public Art Now conversations uh, to take place in June 2021. So, Grant, in your seminal book, Conversation Pieces, Community uh, and Communication in Modern Art, you stated in chapter four, a critical framework for dialogic practice, and I quote, what happens when artists situate their practice in this larger cultural and political field, question mark. How do they negotiate between the tactical demands of a given community struggle, which, require, which may require more conventional modes of political, political expression, and the skeptical, self-reflexive attitude towards coherent forms of identity that is so central to the avant-garde tradition? Question mark. In addition, how can we evaluate the complex exchanges that often take place in these projects across boundaries of class, race, gender, and so on? 
Grant and Grania, you have both examined the participatory, collaborative and collective socially engaged art practices and artists, the formation of complex social relationships that are produced through the interaction of art organizations, artists and communities. And you have given consideration to the dimension of critique and evaluation of such process-oriented diachronic practices. If these additional, and I quote you again, uh, uh, grant additional dimension of evaluation that the evaluative register project uh, focuses on, it's also the frame that we want to uh, contextualize and explore in the conversation uh, to, um, tonight. And I think there's an opportune moment uh, here. On the one hand, uh, we see a thriving, or we have seen a thriving, at least until COVID-19, uh, of um, collective socially engaged uh, practices. And it's the same uh, in, in this moment in time under the impact of COVID-19, where we have to give consideration to a kind of rekindling um, uh, of uh, cultural production of art practices, including uh, engaged modes, um, uh, of, of making and of exchange, I think there is an opportunity to rethink the support schemes uh, for such practices, whether these are by public funders or by private funders, and to give, I think, renewed attention to uh, the modes of evaluation that inevitably are included in these um, funding schemes, support schemes, um, uh, in terms of safeguarding from the perspective of the funders, uh, the impactful spend uh, of the money uh, and uh, accountability. So to, uh, to begin uh, the conversation, I would like to open up with the question that Grant posed in the introduction to the 2011 book, The One and the Many, Contemporary Collaborative Art in, in Global Context. Why have so many artists over the past decade and a half been drawn to collaborative or collective modes of making? And Grania, you have also elaborated on the social turn in art over the past two decades in your own research. So, uh, Gr um, Grant, can I address the question first to you and then to, to Grania? Sure. Um, let me see if I can give a somewhat succinct response to that. Um, first thing I want to say is, uh, just a uh, historical, I suppose, uh, side note, which is that um, there's certainly been an, a dramatic expansion of certain forms of, of activist or engaged art over the past, uh, well, at this point, you know, 20 or 30 years or more. Um, but I, I, see that, I see that work as representing a kind of a cyclical process in, uh, in modernism. Uh, so there are a lot of important precedents, not just conceptual art by forms of, of activist practice that go back to everything from the Paris Commune to the, you know, the anarchists that were uh, uh, the kind of anarchist orientation of the neo-impressionists. Uh, there's numerous 19th century examples, the arts and crafts movement. There are periodic moments in the history of modernism during which artists begin to push at the boundaries of what separates art from say social or political life. So what we identify as in socially engaged art, I would say is just one moment in that. And that moreover has a kind of a global scope if you incorporate references to any number of cultural practices in the 19th and 20th century uh, from Gandhi's you know, resuscitation of uh, handloom weaving as a, as a politicized craft practice 
I mean, it's really quite a, a massive range of practices if we get beyond this kind of art specific, the kind of constraints of a very institutionalized art specific understanding. So I think that I just say briefly, that's an important frame of reference for me. In terms of, of, of recent factors, I, I guess there's two things. One, one I think what's happened in, the la in that same period, say 20 or so years is a dramatic expansion in the uh, extent to which contemporary art in particular has been uh, monetized. That is, uh, the, the, the market for contemporary art has expanded exponentially in the last two decades so that you've got, now you have uh, uh, investment funds that people invest in that are specifically pegged to the performance of contemporary art. So uh, that, that, that was not so much the case, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, contemporary art was still a bit of a risky proposition for collectors and investors because you had to patiently wait for art historical and critical review and so on. Well, that's all that's been bypassed now and art gets validated quite quickly through the uh, secondary market, the auction market and gallery sales and, and also biennials and so on. And so I think a lot of, I think a generation or so of artists have come of age in that context and they've seen, they, they you know, as, as I think probably most of us are drawn to art because we think it, it, um, it symbolizes at least and maybe enacts certain fairly utopian beliefs about human creativity. And I think there are a lot of artists just that I've talked to that look at what's become of the institutionalized contemporary art world and, and really see their interests as antithetical. You know, if you look at the Freeze Art Fair and things like that. So I think there's been a real, there's always been that resistance to the market, but it's become so hypertrophic in the last couple of decades. I think that's pushed artists to think differently about how they make their art outside of that institutional setting. And the second factor is um, I, I associate with the kind of geopolitical shifts uh, after 1989 and the fall of the Berlin Wall. And you've seen across a broad swath of, of, of political and cultural activism, a search for new paradigms of what political transformation might look like. And uh, there we go. <laughs> and, um, and so that extends up to the present day. Examples like, uh, you know, the Oaxaca Commune in Southern Mexico or the Tahrir Square protests or Occupy Wall Street or the Rojava Commune in Northern Syria. There's a, there's a experimentation with the nature of political change that breaks with the kind of vanguardist orientation. You see that with the Zapatistas in particular, of course. So I think those are two of the big factors that have precipitated the shift, and I'm again, thinking over the last three decades, towards a new modality of art practice defined by, a, you know, Benjamin talks about a melting down that occurs in the 1920s in Russian uh, art. And I think we're going through something quite similar uh, during the current moment. So those are, I won't belabor it, but those are two of the factors I think are important. Thank you, Grant. Uh, Grania, can I bring you in here? Sure. I mean, uh, I think the very short answer is that artists have been motivated by a multitude of reasons. Um, I think other people, including Grant, have done a really good job of describing that historical lineage. Um, if I would add anything, I would say that in the last 20 years or so, I think the most important conditions which now determine socially engaged art is how it is used and supported by art institutions and organisations. So on one hand, um, ideas such as new institutionalism, which were developing in the 1990s as a model of institutional reform, um, embraced these kinds of process-based artworks uh, that engage with communities 
um, as a way to reconfigure the museum as you know something more central to people's lives or you know like as Charles Esch said as a part community centre, part laboratory, part academy. Um, on the other hand of this uh, is also very evident corporate turn um, which is behind socially engaged art and the propagation within art institutions particularly um, where it increasingly asserts social engagement as some kind of measurement um, of art institutions worth and I think that it's you know I think it's worth bearing in mind you know like those sort of two positions which can shift really easily behind socially engaged art. So while there are certainly positives uh, to this in terms of expanding the programming of traditional art institutions, it also coincides with the continued use of socially engaged art um, in social and cultural institutions and um, as well as governments as a way to address issues of social cohesion and regeneration um, which are you know, like failings of neoliberal policy. Um, so this, I think, in my opinion, sort of sort of a precarious analogy um, between collaborative work and the inclusive fair society. You know, like I think Grant mentioned there that you know, like we have um, a tendency to assume positive values a lot of the time for this work, or at least that's how they're explained in the rhetoric. Um, I think it's important also to look at how there's been an increase of artist-run organisations and collectives. Um, I know from my own county of Kilkenny, I'm specifically thinking of Workhouse Union and Callan, um, which offer sort of an alternative to the corporate turn where these spaces are motivated, I guess, by a need to do things quite differently, uh, propose new ways of working, often in response to dominant forms of governance. Um, so by engaging and embedding themselves within social communities, um, they can respond better to these communities specific agendas um, and placing social engaged practice at the fore of that. Um, so yeah, well, I think that there's multiple motivations. Um, I think that in terms of evaluation, um, it's important to name and then analyze what is common across these practices. So I guess for me and in my research, um, that would be organization. Um, being more specific about that, I guess common across these practices, I hope Grant would agree, would be reorganization. I mean, even if we look at the historical lineage in terms of um, activist practices, um, I'm thinking even of Judy Chicago's work with Woman House and the collective there of a reorganization of um, the personal values and considerations of female artists, but also confronting um, dominant cultural conformity. Um, so yeah, I think that these, even if the prerogatives of organization are not that explicit, um, for me personally, they are at the core of socially engaged art and particularly so in the context of various different art institutions. So even though this is kind of overlooked, um, I think that maybe for many artists here tonight, there's a tendency to be kind of afraid of the term organization as if it sort of takes away some kind of the creative attitudes um, that we more often associate. I think that it's really important to bear in mind that when we think about organization and describing social engaged art as organization, um, what we're really doing is drawing attention to the complexity of this kind of work.
I am NATO Thompson, the curator, um, you know, like described that as these projects develop in complexity, that the more they must behave like organizational um, entities. Um, so consequently then, I think that we need to bear in mind that when we think about evaluation, it should firstly be able to respond to these kind of um, institutional contexts and organizational contexts which produce socially engaged art and also the expanded relationships which are then developed from an intersection between artists, institutions and the communities which are propagating and you know, like investing time into those different kinds of work. Um, that, that might be an aspect that we may want to uh, focus uh, for a moment. You know, you you opened up with the juxtaposition of um, organization, and there I uh, introduce management, and here the management of relationships and 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 processes. On the one hand, uh, artists' uh, creativity, the notion of making. Uh, on 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 the other hand, and it's a complex. Um, um, nexus, so to speak, uh, uh, with value judgments uh, and, and, and perception. And uh, I, I think I would like to explore that a bit uh, uh, in more detail uh, with you. And perhaps, Grant, I could bring you uh, in here to perhaps also respond to uh, 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 Gronja. Um, in terms of organization in particular, you mean, Kirsten? In, in particular, to the to the uh, to the tensions that uh, that we uh, that Grania has opened uh, up uh, with regard to perceptions of organization uh, and institutionalization on uh, and and the management aspect on the one hand, uh, on the other hand, uh, the association of um, artists as uh, creators, facilitators, the notion of creativity that drives the creative exchange uh, with the participants uh, in. Uh, activists uh, um, uh, and, and community context. Yeah, you know, the institutionalization question's um, important for sure. I, I guess it's the, in a way, the price of success for uh, activists or engaged art practices. You know, I, I put in the chat that, you know, Guggenheim's now into social practice. That's the term they use a lot in the US, social practice, because it's slightly more, you know, less threatening sounding. Um, and so, you know, the Guggenheim's got <laughs> significant political problems in the art world uh, in terms of their construction of the new Guggenheim and, and so on. And so there is a danger of uh, consciousness laundering that goes on as these often bloated, you know, museums with boards of rich collectors are seeking to appear to be more open to the political currents of the moment, you know, and that's just another form of compromise or complicity. You know, you show your work in the gallery, there's one set of compromises you run up against you. This work gets institutionalized by these mainstream institutions, which are often reluctant to fundamentally change the way they operate. There's another form that it takes. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago, and I think it might still be the case that the institutionalization of of this kind of practice was always filtered through the education department because it was seen as not sufficiently artistic for a proper curator to deal with. So there's, you know, there's a whole series of ideological constructs that get brought into play when you start to institutionalize the work. And then, you know, even this is the case, I think in the US more than it is uh, in the EU, but uh, there's, there's just a lot of money sloshing around now for this work, like the 
Creative Time Gala, uh, things like that. So, you know, as an organization doing really um, interesting work, here I'll put a little thing in the chat in New York. Uh, here we go. And, and you find yourself wondering, what is the uh, kind of charisma of this work that draws in, you know, millionaire art collectors and celebrities to want to be seen in conjunction with it? Right, so there's, it's a, it's a set of problems that are an interesting set of problems to have. But then the question is, well, as a practitioner, how do you situate yourself relative to that? Because it's on the one end great that there's now support that didn't used to exist so much. And then how do you negotiate it? Well, you have to take up a critical reflective relationship to the uh, systems of patronage and so on. So that's one factor. And then organization, you know, most of the artist groups I know are very comfortable with organization because they work over you know long periods of time and it's the very bread and butter of what they do. Uh, it's just you have to rethink organization not as something that imposes coherence or rationality in an instrumental way on processes of social exchange but rather a kind of a creating of a social architecture within which exchange can unfold uh, in some manner. So uh, there are lots of ways to think and maybe organization kind of gets people's backs up because it has these associations. But uh, it, it's, to me, it's central to the practice is a, is a sensitivity. I mean, this is part of why traditional critics often can't understand the work because at the level of visual appearance, it's just like, this is just a bunch of people sitting around talking or what, you know, or a reading group or in a reading room and, a, and so on, because they can't see at the level that's not visual. They can't, they don't have a, methodology to understand and detect and analyze and experience those forms of organizational social exchange that are at the heart of a lot of these projects. So I'll just uh, say those two things. I mean, there's a lot more to be said, but I don't want to hold this up. Um, th thank you. Grania, do we want to respond to, to that? Um, um, I think the only thing that I would respond there is you know, we obviously seem to be in some terms on an agreement in terms that organization is intrinsic to this work. Um, I just think that there's a value in it being named explicitly. Um, same with management, but maybe let's stick with organization for the moment. In terms of if we do not name it, then you run in those risks of people being unable to see where does the art process actually lie. Um, naming it again is important then in terms to the evaluation of the work of if we do not name it how can we judge or analyze this and it has to be called to attention I think in terms of how we discuss and look at these works mm -hmm. um which is to the benefit of the practice um uh, it's it's uh, and I see the question coming in so I will feed them into the discussion as 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 well as as we progressing so please do pop your questions into the into the chat box perhaps we can uh, uh, move gradually move our discussion towards uh, the area uh, of of evaluation and I'm particularly interested in how evaluation that traditionally um, is very much um, output uh, focused uh, on the um, um, object uh, or the event that has happened and, and what is uh, experiences uh, and impact uh, that may have uh, had on the uh, spectator, uh, on, on the viewer or at best uh, on, on the participant of how, the, how can the complex and dynamic 
uh, creative exchange collaboration that happens uh, um, uh, in uh, these, as, as Grant said, uh, social architecture that sets up the conditions uh, for, for doing so, uh, recognized, acknowledged and valued um, uh, as, as part of the collective socially engaged art project. I don't know who would like to go first. Grant, you can go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so evaluation. Yeah, that's a that's a. <clears throat> I mean, I guess a lot of what I've done in my work is evaluation in a way. Um, if I, if the challenge with evaluation is it includes the word va value, uh, and so um, you have to get at the root of what it is your what is your a priori set of criteria to uh, attribute value to one thing and not to another thing. Uh, so it's always important, and as Kirsten said, you get a lot of this fairly crude, these crude metrics of what's success and not success, and it is in the nature of this practice to operate in multiple registers of meaning and effect. I'm thinking of projects I've written about, you know, like uh, early on back in conversation pieces, I wrote about the Wilkenklauser's, uh, you know, boat project on Lake Zurich, and, uh, I, you know, um, it was struck me because I saw that work and some other work I wrote about in that book and it, and it really annoyed people that I thought considered it artistic practice at the time. I get really annoyed people that I, I was critical of Rachel White Reed, but I said good things about Peter Dunn and Lorraine Leeson. And, and part of that, I think, like when I look at the work, I'm like, oh, I've been in the art world for a long time and we keep talking about all these things that art can do to transform people's awareness of the world. And gosh, here's a project that actually did it. And I think that's a good thing to point to. And I realize in a certain way, the kind of normative conventions of criticism depend precisely on the work not having that effect. And that there's an investment in, in preventing or avoiding what would be seen as the premature desublimation of, of of kind of a practical effect in the world. And so there's one limitation for me in terms of evaluation is just getting a clear sense of what's at stake and, and what your agenda is in evaluating. And so when I think about uh, Volkenklaus, you say, oh, that project was a success because they got the pension built for the, uh, the sex workers. But then another project I wrote about in the one in the mini called, is called Offering of Mind, and it was done in Myanmar under the military regime, and it involved these people, just individuals walking through the streets of Myanmar with these fabricated stupa temples on their heads, and it was, and it was really dangerous to do that, even that walking part, like the artists couldn't show the faces because if they, people, the state police saw the faces, then they could be retribution. So. Was that work a success? Well, it transformed the consciousness of a small number of participants. So you have a scalar question here. What Some projects are going to affect a smaller number of people. Uh, maybe there's a prefigurative component. How do you allow for the prefigurative effect of certain kinds of processes? And then there's ones that are easier to say, oh, well, that one worked because this, this concrete thing happened. And so you need a metric that is pretty elastic and responsive. I think in a way the work requires us to ask critical questions about the evaluation process itself and to start kind of invert it a little bit and to evaluate evaluation, whether it's the art critic or the institution in some way. Uh, uh, you know, and then, and then you got the challenge. The last thing I'll say is like, like funders and institutions really like projects that have a, a good specular effect that they can make images and documentation to put in their annual reports. 
it makes it look like they're producing something positive. Like Gramsci Monument in New York is a good example of that. Gramsci Monument, you know, had funding, all kinds of funding, the Swiss Arts Council and Creative Time and all these other, or Dia and all these other folks. And when it was up, there was this horde of really kind of upper middle class art people going into this lower income public housing development. It, and the coverage is all, Peter Schlegdahl writes about in the New Yorker, it's just all utopian. Look at the poor people of color are cohabitating with rich white collectors. And it was this kind of aesthetic census communist moment in which the boundaries of class and race difference are collapsed and we playfully, joyfully mingle together and there's Gramsci being read and all the rest. And then Whitney Kimball did this article where she went back a year later and um, the people, <laughs> the forest houses, housing development were kind of disappointed in the whole thing. This media blizzard descended on them for 10 weeks. Their kids for the first time had access to the kinds of social provisions that frankly, any middle-class kid in the US should has access to, but they don't because they're poor. And all of a sudden it's just there because of the magic wand of a famous artist and then it disappears. And, um, and so I think that the work is presented as a success by the funders. In fact, it led to the DIA guy getting a job at MOCA, uh, running MOCA in LA. But for the participants, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'll put in the chat the little article that Whitney Kimball wrote um, about it. Here it is. Anyway, so I just say that evaluation, um, that's why, what I mean when I say we need to also evaluate the evaluation process for what agenda, for whose needs, whose needs are being met by this evaluation process, and then start from there to reassemble a notion of evaluation that's consistent with what the work is trying to accomplish. Absolutely, Grant, including the terms we are using when we talk about success, uh, impact, sustainability, etc. Grania, would you like to come uh, in here? Yeah, I mean, I think what Grant is pointing towards is something which I have defined um, as a politics of preparatory phases, um, which you can equally have a politics of the post-production of this kind of art with Gramsci Monument in particular, I guess that the questions there are looking at perhaps what are the motivations around this? It would be interesting to see like the relationships which are developed before any participants come on site. Um, I think that while these projects are often long-term durational projects, we have a tendency to focus only on the action that we can see happening in place or what is documented perhaps by artists or institutions and the rhetoric which you know people who are much higher up the hierarchy um determine to be allowed to be made public um in terms of valuation i think that yeah working off of sort of grants provocation there that we need to evaluate the evaluation process um one of the ways perhaps to start is expanding the evaluation process. So that incorporates not just artists reflective experience of it. Um, I mean, my belief is that evaluation should be created throughout the project, not something which is in hindsight, um, but that we include the community in terms of what is their perspective on um, the relationships developed between you know, like whether it's art institutions or other social funding institutions, as well as the artist. Um, I think that doing so uh, can help us focus on 
you know, how the actions of a project from beginning to the conclusion um, compares to the rhetoric and aims that are originally presented. What I'm trying to get is that we can avoid judgment on representation alone of these projects and look more towards, well, how is this being organized? How does it compare to the values which it is putting forward? Um, are these being enacted through the actions between the various stakeholders within a project? Thank you, um, uh, Grania. Um, I would like to start bringing in some of the questions here in the chat box. And Jenny, and I'm sorry, Jenny, I haven't got your surname here. Jenny asks, do you feel we are limited in our knowledge production in this field by predominantly assessing and working on activities carried out in English speaking or other colonial language speaking context, uh, i.e. North South America and parts of, of Europe. Uh, so the question of language uh, uh, that is being uh, being used and, and preferenced here, um, uh, I think is, is a crucial one. Um, and any thoughts on, um, on, on that? And I say that as a non, uh, um, um, as a, as a German native speaker, although it's a dominant, very dominant language as well, but different words have different nuances. So the, the use of terminology uh, is, is a crucial thing when we talk about uh, the construction of projects and the evaluation. Um, Grant? Well, yeah, I think that that's a good point. I mean, um, you know, the field, was for a long time, at least what we what I'd say, the field of people that write about this work in the U.S. and Europe has been pretty parochial uh, for a long time. You know, there's a vast body of work that's been produced globally that just wasn't even on the radar screen for a lot of critics. I think that's begun to change in the last five to eight years. There's now new research uh, on uh, work in you know the Caribbean, uh, there's a good good new book, a couple of good new books on activist art, engaged art in China. Justin Jesty's book on Japan. Uh, hopefully, some uh, good research on uh, work in the continent of Africa. We just had a special issue on African engaged art in the field uh, a little while back. So it's starting to change, but yes, for sure. And you know, what happens is when you look at this, especially I think in con conjunction with kind of anti-colonial practices, you really start to complicate some of the received wisdom of the models that we've incubated in say North America and the EU in terms of their understanding of societal and political transformation and, uh, and the relationship between art and adjacent forms of cultural production. So I think that's been a very salutary shift, which is the broadening of the scope outside of uh, Anglophone practices and, and so on. So yeah, I'd say that's a good thing. And I think it's reinvigorating the scholarship too. Um, yeah, I, like, I can't disagree with that. I, the only thing that I would add there is that I think that we need to be careful um, as critics, as theorists and as evaluators that we do not assume that the um, that the onus is only on us to do this work in itself as sort of a form of colonizing evaluation. Um, and equally, it's problematic. You know, like I think that the current world climate with uh, you know, the COVID pandemic has thrown that up in as far as that we cannot, we cannot expect people to be jet setting around the world to evaluate different projects and that we have to 
um, if any role that we have is the encouragement of evaluation and analysis from particular places, from representatives of those places and communities themselves. Um, I think that we are in danger sometimes of colonizing, once again, the analysis of you know, the global south, um, as if this is some kind of way to, you know, like, um, you know, get rid of our guilt um, or to show that we're expanding. Um, I know these are challenges that I face, you know, like even in the production of my PhD in terms of, you know, like how can this be relevant if I'm not including global projects? Um, where in the end I realized, no, I have to focus on projects at home, A, in terms of this is the context, the social context, which I understand and I am rooted in, and B, to discourage the idea of the globe, you know, like trotting artist critic. Thank you. Um, I'm just looking at the uh, questions that come uh, um, in here. I mean, I have a I have a question that goes back to uh, another point that was uh, made uh, before in terms of the framework of evaluation, and I wondered how we can uh, we can create scope for failure and risk taking. Uh, and that goes back to uh, Grant, what you said about the evaluation of success, what's being portrayed as success uh, of socially, uh, collectively, socially engaged practices. Um, and it ties in uh, with Dominique Campbell's uh, question of might the panel reflect on evaluation as an act of generosity, ideally with examples, if some come to mind. So how can we create space, scope for um, uh, experimenting, for failure, for learning from failure, uh, for, for calculated or, or not so calculated uh, risk taking uh, that tests out alternatives um, uh, in, in uh, uh, collaborative, socially engaged practices. Grant, would you? Sure. Um, you know, uh, one challenge, I think, with, uh, with kind of commission-based practices, you know, there's certain projects, I'm thinking of like the, uh, the Escrache tradition in Argentina. These are projects that emerged in the 90s uh, by activist groups and artists that were trying to bring the uh, perpetrators of the dirty wars of, of, of Argentina's past to justice when the state would not do so. And so they developed within Argent kind of the fabric of Argentine civil society. They weren't commissioned by creative time, right? They evolved. And I think there's a lot of creativity that comes out of concrete forms of resistance in situ in that, in that manner. Um, so um, in that, that ex and then there's commission projects where it's like, oh, here's a community and here's an artist, we're gonna match them up. And that's another way to work. But I think the, the challenge with the commissioning process can be that it, it, the temporality is quite, usually quite specific. That is, you're gonna be there for this long. It begins here, it ends there. There's a temporal framework that's kind of fixed. And if I think about the escraches, they kind of evolved and morphed and took different forms. They continue to be practiced uh, or dialogues work in central India, I talk about in the one and the many. Uh, didn't begin with a concrete project. It began with a series of conversations between uh, 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 Navjar Altov, who's an upper caste woman, 
and uh, Adivasi craftspeople in this village, and they talked for months, and they had to spend a lot of time just figuring out what words meant <laughs> in their two languages. So there was an ongoing, that's what I mean when I say evaluation is part of the process. Like before they even got to the point of doing something together, there was a, like the escraches are the same way. There was a, there's a pre-escrache before these kind of public uh, protest events, there's months of meetings and discussions that exist before them, but they're less visible and less easy to document. And, and so, um, so evaluation is, is kind of baked, in, uh, baked into the process of the work. I think it can be harder for artists that are working under the temporal constraints of a commission to let the work evolve. A project takes on its own life. If, if it's if a creative practice, it's going to generate, it's going to throw up ideas and associations and connections that you did not anticipate. And so that the finish date, if it's fixed, then you're going to truncate a lot of that, potentially, not always, but you can. And so I think it makes the evaluation process that's that much more difficult. And I know, I understand it's like not realistic to say, well, you just work for seven years or whatever, but, but it's a lesson we can learn from practices that evolve more spontaneously from sites of resistance and maybe get us to think a little differently about temporality and evaluation with more formal institutionalized practices. Thank you, um, Grand Grania. Can I bring you in here? Sure. Um, I think maybe just to turn towards your question there about failure and risk-taking, um, I think that these are things that should be embraced in a sense, but provided that it's done through sort of a responsible means. And um, what I mean by that is that failures and risks perhaps that didn't pay off can be lessons to us, but only if they become a collective lesson. Sometimes if it's only you're like for one personal artist, um, you know, there's learning from that, but we should be looking at the broader community of socially engaged art, particularly in terms of maybe a coherent evaluative framework across socially engaged projects. Um, in terms of, I mean, if anybody wants to look this up, Anthony Schrag from Edinburgh has done really good work around the failure of participation. Um, so I think that the benefit of a coherent and rich and robust evaluative framework is that we can then start to describe models of practice um, or organizational models of this practice and begin to compare them to others. Um, I mean, I think that in an ideal world, there'll be some kind of a database detailing these things, but that we could look and make comparisons, okay, this worked here, this doesn't work there, let's test it out in different situations. So failure allows for us to open up, I think, that aspect of testing different things out. Um, just to respond as well, Grant, you were talking about you know, like the temporal versus fixed um, issues in terms of the commission project. One of the things that in our uh, creation of a new evaluative register I've been playing with is the idea of how can we measure whether a project is generative or not. Um, so we should be looking perhaps at these projects as some way of setting up social situations, which can then be recursive by which I mean that they can be continued on so that when an artist leaves, we are not only relying on an artist to continue these particular social groups and new social situations that have uh, been created. So, you know, like, especially in terms of, you know, working with Create, we are looking at, if not commissions, but funded opportunities 
and to assume that because they might have shorter timescales um, that they cannot be as effective, um, I think delimits the work in a sense. Um, so we think the question should be about how can this work be generative? How can we generate something new which can be lasting? Thank, thank you, Grania. Um, I, 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 I see, uh, uh, Glenn, I see your, your question um, on uh, where does the notion of the artist manager sit within the critique of social choreography often expressed within the socially uh, en engaged art uh, discourse? And perhaps I can direct that at Grania first and then go to, to Grant and um, I will pick up some other questions here from Isabel and others as well. Um, sure. Uh, I think that, in my experience, the description of artists as manager um, has been met with a degree of confrontation. Um, I think this has an awful lot to do with people's conflation of management on one hand and managerialism on the other. Um, so managerialism being a hierarchical, profit-driven aspect, whereas management can be a management of collective agency. Um, I think that in comparison to sort of the neoliberal ideologies, you know, like a responses from art institutions, management becomes this sort of dirty word in a sense that we don't want to think of. But if we actually look at the skills and attributes which socially engaged artists have, you know, like their role is to facilitate um, collaborative communities. The role is to manage for um, for a polyphony of different voices. How can this be created? Management is about setting up situations and making sure that everybody's voice can be heard in this rather than just what we might presume to be a, a dominant top-down hierarchical situation. Having said that, I think that it's important to remember that these situations and these projects can be hierarchical to some degree. Um, I think as Dave Beach says, uh, participation and collaboration include hierarchies of cooperation and control. And there's often no way of getting around that. And to presume otherwise, I think is burying our head in the sand a bit. Um, so I think that looking at what socially engaged artists do and referring to this as management and as organization is taking um, what we might have previously seen as personal attributes um, to be the actual skills and tools and formal components in a way of socially engaged art. Um, thanks, Grania. Um, uh, um, Grant, uh, um, maybe you would like to respond. Uh, um, if not, um, Isabel asked you particularly to talk about the ethical and ethnographic dimension inherent in social uh, um, arts pra practices and the pol politics of performance. Evaluation is not an endpoint, but may be considered as an ongoing conversation with the evolving contextual relations. I think. Um, it ties uh, um, in on the one hand with the, the manage, management, I have difficulties using that term myself, management of the relationships um, and of the responses to the site um, um, and, and the context as well. I, I hand over to you. Okay, yeah, so, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big question. Um, 
look, the, the first thing I would say is it's important to understand that uh, th th there's a danger of lapsing into a, a kind of a simplistic opposition between uh, absolute freedom and lack of hierarchy and uh, all hierarchy is, is evil. Or, you know, I think that tendency in art criticism comes from the fact that art critics are kind of uh, identify themselves with the notion of simultaneity and reception. That is a work is one thing or it's another thing. And, uh, and in fact, it's in the nature of this practice that it's going to move through moments during which hierarchies emerge <laughs> and then moments in which they're unpacked or dismantled or called into question. It, it's really a metaphor for human social interaction, right? There, there's the, the, so it, it has a temporality, again, to come back to that question that that has to be accounted for, as opposed to simply saying, oh, this project was completely hierarchical and this one was not, or the one that wasn't was naive and so on. We've had critiques of the kind of tyranny of participation for 50 years, you know, here I'll put in the links. This is famous one from 1969, Carol Hanisch, uh, piece called The Tyranny, or sorry, <laughs> wrong one, Joanne Friedman's essay, The Tyranny of, of, of Structurallessness. Let me put it in the chat. Uh, so there's a long history of understanding that you have to be, you know, mindful about the incursion of hierarchical or instrumentalizing relationships in any social interaction, not just in the arts, but in lots of forms of activism. Uh, you see the same, same tensions in the civil rights movement in the United States about open participation versus hierarchy and um, quasi-party structure. So we can learn from that in the arts. And I do think that in the, in the strongest work, you see that See, the, the thing with evaluation is it, you don't necessarily have to frame it like there's an external agent who has to be pleased <laughs> that the work did had an outcome or something like that. That is a way that it operates. But as I said at the beginning, I think that a lot of the best work, th there is an incorporated evaluation. That is, you talked about failure, like the escrachés are a good example. Oh, well, they did some escrachés and then it failed. You know why it failed? Because then the Argentine government started to have uh, riot police surrounding the homes of the junta members and blocking them. Well, then they, so that failure, that response was met with a counter response. And the counter response was further creativity where they started to do these kind of acted out scenarios where they're recreating the crime of the junta member so they can throw balloons full of red paint at the, at the person's home. So that, that is a call and response modality in which what we call failure is simply the moment at which more creativity ideally is called into being through the concrete existence in real time. I mean, that's what separates this work from conventional gallery-based practices. You know, the, the kind of neo-avant-garde paradigm is typically something like you have to push off against some imaginary point of, symbolic point of resistance to establish the criticality of the work. And usually that's something like, I'm going to critique the institutional art world, or back in the olden days, it was Greenberg. I'm gonna critique the imminent structure of painting. But the thing you're critiquing and resisting is always presented as a kind of a frozen, reified thing. But if you're working in the real world, the thing you're critiquing and resisting, you're, you're not just acting it out symbolically, you're actually dealing with in real time with a counterforce of repression that's going to act back on your practice. And you're gonna be called upon to figure out creative ways to respond. It's a completely different modality. That's why it's a, a different kind of practice. And a lot of artists aren't maybe as suited for it or as interested in it. But in that respect, then what we call failure, it's harder to gauge, I guess, is what I would say. And that's again, a longer conversation, but I'll, 
I'll stop there. I think if I may, it ties very much in with um, uh, Isabel uh, Lima's uh, uh, question, isn't there a danger of having a coherent framework or blueprint that measures all? Doesn't that become a replacing of one problematic method for another as every project is different and based on different values? Shouldn't evaluation become more flexible and nimble like the project they intend to evaluate? I think, I think that I... I think that I used the word coherent framework um, in a slightly different way in terms of a framework which is coherent with the practice. Um, I think that in terms of the evaluative framework we're developing with CREATE, we're looking at something which can be flexible across very different kinds of socially engaged art. Of course, they have very different motivations. As I said at the beginning, they take very different kinds um, of routes. Um, engaged with different kinds of communities take place in different kind of contexts and the evaluative framework needs to be able to respond to all of those. Um, having said that, I still think that the idea of comparison or being able to compare um, without being stringent on that, for example, you know, like there's no point um, comparing one work for, there's no point comparing a work which is developing social engagement within a festival context. Um, which might be much more direct with the long-term durational project taking place in a community. Um, those are two very different things and a value framework should be able to respond to those. However, I think that there are coordinates um, which would be comparable across you know, both of those two things um, that we can use within that. And that's the benefit, I think, of looking at something as organization and questioning what are an institution's motivations behind this project. Um, for example, if it's a commissioned project and an institution asks one thing, you know, perhaps in the festival context of engaging older people um, in processes of creativity, um, then the value to those participants um, should be at the fore. Whereas if you're looking at a community project where we're trying to co-create together, um, the organizational model will be very, very different. And yes, we can start pointing out whether things are taking, whether the community's voices are being heard and whether they are being utilized depending on the skills and tools that the artist is employing as part of those processes. Um, I don't think it's a question of creating consensus. I think that it's a question actually, which I remember in our last um, real life meeting together, Kirsten, that you mentioned. Um, it's about creating that cacophony of different voices. Um, and it's something that I've thought on a lot where I would probably replace cacophony with a polyphony. Um, just thinking of cacophony as a number of different voices where nothing can be heard, where a polyphony is being something which can be brought into um, a coherent whole, um, even if there isn't 100% consensus within that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you about polyphony and, and cacophony here. We have quite a few, uh, although it might be an, an, another uh, uh, dialogue we have uh, at some point, there, because there are quite a few questions uh, in here and we have um, 10 um, or, or, or 12 minutes uh, left here. So um, I'd like to come back to the um, um, uh, question of um, 
they come, uh, uh, can you comment uh, on the strengths and weaknesses of participatory action research as participatory form of baked in evalu evaluation for social practice? And in the context, there was also a question of the kind of person, uh, Grania, that you imagine uh, accompanies uh, or is part of the, of the uh, project from Susanne Bosch, um, uh, the, the journey companion. Um, so maybe start with Grania and then hand over to, to Grant um, after that. <laughs> um, I'm just reading Susanna's question there now. Um, the type of persona that I envision to be the journey companion. Um, I'm thinking in terms of leadership in the sense that leadership or good leadership should be about um, facilitating others, encouragement of others. And it's sort of those kind of background works um, which shape a process um, and which can bring people's voices to the fore. I think that you know, like even outside of art, when we're working within groups, um, the onus is on us to try and um, allow people to work to their best ability. So I think that the persona, I mean, I'm not very good at being um, as, uh, I guess, sort of fictionalized as Susanna is. I really like her description of a critical friend. Um, but I think some kind of a leadership, but a quiet form of leadership um, is what is necessary. Um, and this goes back, I think, to my previous points about, you know, like the artist manager, um, the artist director, which are two terms that Miwon Kwan you know, like, um, represents in her book. Um, and that we need to assume that these, this is not always a loud um, process. This is not a, a process in which one person is shouting through the megaphone, directing everybody around them, but that this is something that is develops a negotiation, I think, between people. And that there is a constant, you know, like looking forward and looking back and sort of working through the tensions of these kind of projects and how an evaluation can capture that, I think, is one of the most important things. I hope that answers your question, Susanna. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Grania. Um, Grant, would you like to come in, in, in here? We have loads of questions. I think we need another hour <laughs> to, for our discussion. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could just say, you know, PAR, participatory action research, uh, is a is a good paradigm. Also, uh, there's a strong tradition of collaborative activist uh, uh, ethnography in Latin America, in particular, um, that that there's a lot to be learned from. So there are good good examples uh, in in a lot of other disciplines. Um, thank you. And there's a long question from uh, uh, Gregory uh, Cholette. I'm, I'm not sure we have the time to uh, to 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 go there. I um, uh, uh, thought that we may want to to move to uh, Hei Chan, 
apologies, I don't have the full name here. Um, social engaged art is art is focused on the public community, but we are talking about paradigm, new or aspects that are from the conventional notion of art. Why can't we put aside all the notions we have of art because of socially engaged art changes the idea of art because it demands recognizing the concept of, of art. And uh, I, I had a question in, in that regard as well that concerns and uh, Greg, uh, Grant, you have uh, written about that extensively uh, the role of art theory and criticism uh, in the cre uh, creation of um, or recreation of ev an evaluative uh, register. And I hand over to you. Uh, you're handing over to me? Yes. Yeah, so maybe there's a way to respond to both of those a little bit. Um, you know, uh, uh, we're talking about a new paradigm of art. I think that, yes, there's a new paradigm, but, but and as Greg's uh, question suggests, uh, it's also, you know, emerged out of historical precedents. And, and, and again, I would not just cite the kind of European vanguard tradition, but uh, a broader uh, a kind of anti-colonialist tradition, or for that matter, you know, everything from, uh, you know, Boal's Theater of the Oppressed, uh, the, the uh, kind of popular graphic arts uh, movements in Mexico after the revolution, uh, Emory Douglas's work for the Black Panther Party. There's a broad spectrum of resistant practices that are not centered around the idea that they have to differentiate themselves from a, a kind of institutionalized art practice. That are, that are part of this tradition. And, and the, the, the kind of vanguard tradition, I think there's some real important connections. Now, I would say that within the vanguard tradition, there's also a marginalization that's occurred. So think about an example, I'll just make a, this brief, but a good example would be Erwin Piscatter's work. He's a dramaturg and, and a theater uh, uh, kind of practitioner in Germany in the 1920s. And uh, he developed a whole range of these fairly interesting collaborative workshops and projects in working class districts of Berlin, uh, where workers would produce the plays and be involved in writing them and so on and so forth. And he writes a lot about how that forced him to rethink his identity as a playwright and as an actor. Uh, there's lots of examples within the vanguard tradition of this more lateral notion of creativity that breaks down the sovereignty of the artistic self a bit but that tends to be the work that's marginalized in historical accounts. And so I would also want to argue for retrieving another aspect of the vanguard tradition. You know, the, the thing that people tend to be critical about is the overlaps between the, let's say the vanguard theorist and the avant-garde artist as, you know, possessing a privileged access to the truth of revolution. And then the, the, the masses are the kind of, the people are the kind of, uh, uh, what is it? Um, there's a famous Lenin quote about the working class or like the iron, uh, Gorky talks about this, you know, the working class for Lenin is like iron ore for the steelmaker or something. So this kind of instrumentalized attitude, but there is within the Vanguard tradition, a really interesting parallel model. It just doesn't get, it tends to not get discussed so much in, uh, in uh, conventional art history because it doesn't kind of circulate around the charisma of the individual personality of the artist. So there are lots of those, the, all of these currents are threaded through, I guess I would say, in terms of, we don't want to imagine something is completely new and distinct. And at the same time, uh, we do want to hold on to what is distinctive about this particular configuration. Um, 
I think that to respond to your question about the reevaluation of art theory and criticism, um, I think that there are many different theories that we can turn to. Um, for example, something that I utilize in terms of the history of um, art is looking at the history of systems participatory art. Um, I'm thinking here specifically of Jack Burnham. Um, and Burnham was writing particularly about kinetic art, but in a way which addressed the expanded relationships. So, you know, like he makes analogies between um, the gallery and the art world as the programming um, of this kind of art. Um, so what you get here is a, something from quite normative art history, despite it being quite overlooked, um, a way of looking and thinking about the analysis of socially engaged art in terms of these expanded relationships. And this is, you know, like from the 1960s, 1970s, you know, like, so that while Jack Burnham is sometimes, you know, like, written off as being anachronistic, I think that it has a huge amount of uh, relevance in terms of looking at any kinds of art which cre is created by the production of relationships and co-creation. Um, similarly, I think that there are methods within um, the criticism of visual art um, that are useful to socially engaged art. I don't think that it's fully necessary to you know, like suggests that the two cannot coincide and the other that we cannot sort of learn from each of them. You know, like for example, I'm thinking of social theory of art, um, specifically Gillian Rose's methodologies of visual analysis, um, which can help to show how social differences are either visualized or rendered invisible within works. Um, I point to this, even though it sounds mad to be talking about visual art, because you know, as Claire Bishop points out, um, socially engaged art and participatory art is both a social and a symbolic practice, by which I mean to say that there are aesthetic elements to this practice and how we incorporate those aesthetic elements into your practice should be of a concern to analysis and to evaluation. Um, in my own research, I address this by looking towards something called organizational aesthetics, um, which derives from the field of organizational studies, but where we can look at how visual objects, um, architecture, images, diagrams, um, work and affect on particular social organization. Um, you know, like, so example, you could like look back, you know, like as Grant mentioned earlier, Gramsci monuments, just because it's in my head and go, what does the idea of monument and the physicality of that do in terms of the social organization which is being set up? So I think that rather than um, ignoring um, traditional or you know, like visual art criticism, there's a lot that we can learn to it and an awful lot that is applicable within um, the analysis and evaluation of socially engaged art. Thank you, uh, um, uh, Grania. I, uh, we are coming uh, close uh, to the um, end time for this session, but I uh, would like to use Sally Laban's question for uh, maybe uh, uh, coming to a, um, a temporary conclusion of the um, uh, discussion. 
uh, Sally uh, uh, writes, there's a world of re resurgence of activism and socially engaged practices, not surprising as the crisis has triggered this explosion. How do we support each other in these where success is understood in other ways that sit outside of satisfying funders? This unlearning and uncolonizing allows us new agency. So that's it. Uh, put that question to both of you for your final words in this uh, conversation. Grant, you can go ahead. This is the one that, uh, <laughs> this is the one that says, this is, a, there's a world resurgence. Yeah, uh, 706, Sally Laban. Got it, thank you. Uh, how do we support each other in this we're successful? And in, in, in other ways that sit outside, sit outside, fine. Ah, yeah, I guess support each other, right. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, support each other by, uh, by, I suppose, being as generous as we can with each other. And I guess the question for me is, you know, obviously who's the each other, but let's say it's a, it's a constellation of artists and so on that are working together. I think there can be a kind of a, a in the kind of art context, sometimes a certain tribalism you know, we talked about conventional art criticism. Well, conventional art critics have spent the last 20 or 30 years telling us that activist engaged art isn't a study to begin with. So there can often be a, what I call an apophatic orientation in which, you know, certain parts of the art world think the kind of art somebody else is doing is completely bankrupt and so on. There's a reason for that, but we'll go into it kind of philosophically, but I think generosity is important, but generosity doesn't mean that we don't ask challenging questions of each other. You know, I guess I'd just say that, yeah. Thank you, Grant and Grania. Um, yeah, how do we support each other? It's a really good question. I think that if I'm, I'm gonna look at this from the perspective perhaps of how socially engaged art can help us to support each other and how we, when we take part in such projects, um, offer us different models to support each other. Um, so I think that I'll finish, I think, by reflecting on an evaluative framework, um, which if we are doing our job right, we can create something which is able to describe um, different models of organization. And by interrogating um, the micropolitics, um, these relationships which are developed you know, like in such projects, that this might also help to bring to the fore the macro relations which structure our broader society and allow us to question and interrogate those and thus having effect on the broader world rather than only the microcosm of a project. Don't know if that answers your question, but um, those are my final thoughts. It's a, it's a nice uh, kind of um, summarizing uh, statement. And uh, with that, I would like to bring the conversation to an end reluctantly because there are so many um, uh, other comments we could have explored further. And I would like to, um, first of all, thank uh, Grant and Grania very much for uh, making the time and engaging uh, in this um, multidimensional and thought-provoking uh, conversation. I would like to thank all participants um, for um, uh, being with us tonight and for your generosity uh, of sharing your questions and your resources. 
uh, and I'm sure that can be collated and can be um, uh, distributed um, uh, across the participants. Uh, and I think supporting each other also means to continue uh, these conversations to create spaces that allow for generous exploration, for risk taking, for what ca can be termed as failure and, and, and learning and ensure uh, that we don't become completely institutionalized uh, and, 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 and closed off uh, uh, from um, uh, probing um, um, alternative uh, approaches uh, in the future. So thank you everyone for, for your creative energies uh, tonight.